Oh, gospel ensemble, you threw it down today. <laughs> and I wish you all had the view that I have just right up here. Chevalier, she was throwing it down. She threw off her heels while singing that song today. <laughs> Aren't you glad she wasn't wearing a wig? <laughs> Woo. God is good. And all the time. God is now time, this time, right time, on time. That's our God. <laughs> Woo. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, now I gotta breathe. Okay, let's do that together. Breathe. Oh, God really is so good. And uh, one of the things I love about Scripture is that you can turn to pretty much any page and you're going to have a question. What does this mean? What's this about? What does this mean to me? Did Jesus really do that? Why me? Why now? Why here? Questions on every page, powerful questions, transformative questions. And yet in today's scripture from 1 Kings, there's a twist. Because rather than us asking the questions, God has a question. If you look at your scripture today, you'll see that God has a question for Elijah. And it's there early in the scripture and at the end of the scripture. In fact, our lesson today is bookended by this question. Elijah, why are you here? Elijah, why are you here? Why are you in this cave? What are you doing up here on this mountain? Why are you here? There's actually a pretty long story that explains how he got there. We're still not sure why he's there, but we can find out how he got there. And in fact, I'd encourage you to read 1 Kings, at least the 18th and the 19th chapter, to give you the full story. In fact, if you want something that's juicier than desperate housewives, <laughs> or juicier than sex in the city, read all of 1 Kings. Read the message translation. It kind of lays it out. But I'll give you the Dwayne Digest version of what happens here. Earlier in Elijah's life, God has asked that same question. Elijah, why are you here? And then Elijah was aware of what was going on around him. Going on around Elijah was an incredibly corrupt government. And along with that, the church of that time was in collusion with the government. So you had an abuse of royal power and an abuse of religious power. And God always works through people to bring about change. And so earlier in Elijah's life, God had asked that question, why are you here? And the answer is to bring love where there is oppression. To bring love where there is hurt. To bring love where there's the presence of corruption. And Elijah had become a messenger of love, a prophet of love. During tense and conflicted and dangerous times, Elijah had stepped forward. And he'd taken on the royal authority and he'd taken on the religious powers. In chapter 19, it, it ends up being a, 
a culmination of, of all this movement, this movement of love meeting oppression. And in the 18th chapter, there was actually this amazing contest between Elijah and the authorities of that time. And against all odds, God had worked through Elijah, and he was victorious. It was a time of great victory, at least initially. However, Queen Jezebel, who was threatened by Elijah's message, was ticked off. And in fact, she was so angry that just after Elijah had this great victory, she sent a message to him. And the message wasn't just shut up. The message wasn't just back off. The message that Queen Jezebel sent was, I am going to kill you. You're as good as dead. Despite all the victory that Elijah had, there was something in that message that got him at the heart of who he was, that, that scared him, that, that sent him running. And in the scripture just preceding what's printed for you, he runs, he, he goes and he finds himself in the desert and he finally drops in exhaustion under a broom tree. He can't go any further. And in fact, at that point, he's just ready to give it all up. He's so overwhelmed that he wants to die right then. And in fact, he asks God to go ahead and take his life. It's a little bit what we might say sometimes when we feel overwhelmed. Have you ever said to your coworkers, just take me out back and shoot me? <laughs> That's what Elijah was feeling at that moment. Do you ever feel so overwhelmed by all the stuff in your email box or all the notes piled up on your desk or all that's going on in your interactions with your coworkers that you just feel like running off and hiding in a cave? Amen. You want to just find a cave somewhere? <laughs> well, that's exactly what Elijah does. Even though God has worked so powerfully in his life, even though he's just had this amazing victory, he is overwhelmed by what he's experiencing in his life at that moment, that he can no longer see God's work, can no longer see the victory, and he actually goes and hides in a cave. He does what many of us dream about doing. And it's at that moment that God comes to him and says, why are you here? Haven't you seen my power? Haven't you seen the possibility of love? Have I ever let you down? Why are you here? Why aren't you out there continuing your work for justice, continuing your work for equality, continuing your work for love, continuing your work for the living and real, on time, now time, this time, God? Why are you here? I love the way he answers that question. Elijah says, God all-powerful, I've always done my best to follow you, Yet your people have broken their solemn promise to you. They have torn down your altars and killed all your prophets except me. And now they are even trying to kill me. Let me translate that. God, I, I know you're all powerful. I know you're great. But don't you know how long I've taught this Sunday school class? Don't you know how many times I've served on the board? Don't you know how many times I've showed up? I've done my best to follow you. Yet everyone around me 
they just sitting in the pews. I think I'm the only one who really serves you, God. Everybody else is just playing church and going through the motions. And now, I'm just tired. Call on somebody else. Excuses. He's, he's redefining circumstances that aren't even true. One of the lines here in this scripture is absolutely not factual. When he says they've torn down your altars and killed all your prophets, it's just not true. There were many other prophets working for the same message. Many who were continuing the work that Elijah was doing. He was not alone. He just felt like he was alone. He couldn't see the truth of God's work in his life and the lives of those around him because he had confined and isolated himself and had created a new reality, a confining reality, which was a false reality and not even true. Part of what God was saying here, you are never alone even when you feel like it. And if you choose to isolate yourself in a cave, then all you're going to see are the walls that are blocking you. So get out of the cave and you will see me. God says it very directly go out and stand on the mountain because I want you to see me when I pass by just look around and you will see my work all around you you will see it in the faces of lives that have been changed you will see me as one person reaches out to another. You will see me in a place called resurrection that's opened its doors and opened its hearts to all people. You'll see me. Just don't be afraid anymore and step out of the cave and get onto the edge and look out. Look out. I kind of wonder whether or not Elijah was really afraid or whether he was just overpowered by all that he saw God doing. Oftentimes, when God begins to revolutionize our life, it feels scary, and it feels like upheaval. And when God moves, we don't know who will be called to be or where we'll be called to go. We know that God will take the best of us and transform it and use it for God's good, but that can be scary, and things might change. So maybe what's really going on here is that when Elijah hears that question, why are you here? He's hearing a question that is stirring up a lot of upheaval in his life. I like how Robert Morris talks about when the spirit begins to move, the things inside us begin to move, and it feels like upheaval sometimes. Real spirit can be unsettling, challenging, even threatening. Not because God is actually a danger, but because we small and fragile creatures are being drawn into an immensity of life in that life, our personalities, rooted in the image of God, but distorted by false fears and destructive cravings, are being reshaped by a fierce love. More than one spiritual explorer has had her life thrown off balance by a genuine encounter with the holy. The spirit wishes to engage us at the very core of our personalities. The goal of all this is nothing less than union with God's energies streaming through nature and human nature. The gradual drawing of the whole personality into the orbit of God's active presence and the realignment to the purposes of God.
Spiritual reorientation often leads to some sort of upheaval in the personal life. Relationships may not be able to remain the same. We may discover that jobs or careers are misaligned with our deeper needs and abilities. We may find our inner fears uncovered and our unconscious motivations pulled into the light. We may be led into situations that painfully stimulate new capacities or demand digging deep to cultivate new gifts like patience or courage. Hmm. Elijah, why are you here? Resurrection MCC, why are you here? To move out of the cave, to open up, to become true to the beginnings of the seeds of transformation generating new life, creating new choices, creating new possibilities, some engaging, some scary. Open ourselves to this transforming God and everything begins to shift and change and sometimes we find ourselves in that place. Which way do I go now? How far into this God stuff do I really want to go? <sighs> I, I prefer it to be kind of contained and laid out and simple. Don't even sign me up for creating a life that matters. Because <laughs> I know that's going to raise some questions. That's going to push some buttons. It's going to make me work. It's going to make me move. And sometimes it's easy for us to find ourselves standing on the threshold of great change and great possibility and transformation and love. Get afraid to move. I actually like the way that Dr. Seuss describes how this is for many of us. In fact, if Dr. Seuss was to write a story based on this sermon, based on Elijah, Dr. Seuss would probably tell it this way. Did I tell you before about the Zod? Who came to two signs at the fork in the road? One said, place one. The other, place two. So the Zod had to make up his mind what to do. Well... The Zod scratched his head, his chin, and his pants. He said to himself, I've got to take a chance. If I go to place one, it may be too hot. And how do I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, I'll be some sort of fool if I go to place two and I find it too cool. In that case, I might catch a chill and turn blue. So maybe place one is best. Not to. On the other hand, if place one is too high, I might get an earache, a terrible earache, and die. Place two must be the best. On the other hand, though, if place two is low, I might get some strange pain in my toe. Place one must be best, and he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, on the other hand, though, and for 36 hours and a half, the poor Zod made starts and stops at the fork in the road saying, don't take that chance. It might not be right. Then he got an idea that was incredibly bright. Safe, cried the Zod. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll start out for both places at once. And that's how the Zod, who would not take a chance, got no place at all with a split in his pants.
Elijah, why are you here? (laughs) Resurrection, why are you here? If we can't quite answer the question, let's at least move. Let's at least take a step. Let's at least make a choice. And the truth is for Elijah, it was all good. All he had to do was get out of the cave. And God would continue to do what God had always done, which was to be faithful. It wouldn't all be easy, but it would all be good. And Elijah moved from that cave to enlist others in ministry, to become a mentor for Elisha. And for the rest of his life in ministry, he stood for equality and justice and love. Sometimes it's all really good. We just have to choose. This week I had a chance to go to a wonderful 50th birthday barbecue. And I mean, we're talking about some good eating. I mean, we had homemade sausage, and baked beans, and potato salad, and ribs, and chicken. It was absolutely fantastic and delicious. And I enjoyed my plate of food. I was wanting to go back for more, but I was resisting. I just couldn't do it. I knew I had to preach today, so I was, you know, trying to hold back a little bit. And then Montrell arrived, seven years old. He came and sat right across from me. And I said, Montrell, that's a beautiful plate of food you have there. And then he got this kind of confused look on his face, this this look of consternation. And the look said, I don't know what to eat first. And then he actually said it. He looked at this beautiful plate of food and he went, oh, oh. I just don't know what to eat first. And he sat there and he looked at the plate and he held his knife and he held his fork and he just didn't move. I mean, he could go for the ribs first and they'd be delicious. He could go for those baked beans and they would be scrumptious. He could go for the sausage and it would be delightful and delectable. But he just looked at the plate and said, I don't know what to eat first. And finally I said, Montrell, you can trust me. I've tried it and it's all good. Whatever you eat first is going to be the best bite. So go ahead and just eat something. And he got this big smile on his face and he dug in and started eating with both hands. (laughs) And it was good. And the look on his face said, It's all good. Get out of the cave. Make a move. Pick up your fork and your knife. Dig in. Go for it. Open up. It's all there and it's all good. Elijah, why are you here? Resurrection, why are you here? Reverend Janice, why are we here? We are music waiting to be. We are a song unfolding. Our notes are the voice of life singing through us in majesty. We open to the word of creation and we tell our truths and we build our lives upon it. We open to exclaim the glory that we feel within. We give voice to God and God's plan for us. We refuse to be small when God intends for us to be large. 
We expand without ego, without arrogance. We expand through love. We open our hearts and our minds to the brighter, the clearer, the more joyous vistas that life intends for us. We allow life to create through us the better life, which we tell and we see. We are here to be love. God is an on-time God, now-time God, this-time God. But how is God that way? God's that way when we're that way. We are called to be love, God's presence, God's love in the presence tense. Amen.